three, two, one. Welcome to Just Between Us, a podcast powered by the Corey Johnson Program for Post-Traumatic Healing in Boston. Every week, we focus on ways to heal from the devastating impact of collective trauma on our world. My name is Reverend Liz Walker. My name is Judell Cummins. Today, we are honored to welcome Julia Mejia, an at-large Boston City Councilor who knows a lot about trauma and healing. Julia's life work has been focused on the challenges and needs of our community, Born in the Dominican Republic and raised by a single mother, Julia came to the United States when she was five years old, and she has always lived and worked on the front lines of social justice struggle. Julia founded the Collaborative Parent Leadership Action Network in Boston. She's also worked with the Massachusetts Charter Public School Association, Morgan Memorial Goodwill Industries, and the Center for Social Policy at the University of Massachusetts at Boston. She's also worked on one of my favorite organizations, Project Hope. Now, all of these organizations deal with, with lifting up people, people of color, people on the edges. So you are one of my sheroes in the world, of course, and we welcome you here. Public service, of course, Julia, is fraught with so many challenges these days. Uh, yet here you are in public service. Why did you choose this, I mean, because nobody even trusts public servants, it seems, these days. Why did you choose this way to do your work? Well, first, thank you so much for having me here today. I'm so incredibly honored and like geeking out right now. Um, I think in many ways, I don't even trust um, government, right? Wow. And wow. I think that um, given my journey uh, in this space, um, and I, I'm right now in a system that I fought my entire life. Yeah. So to be on the inside trying to move change, I can see why so many people um, are beginning to lose hope mm. um, in government. And the reason why I got into it is because I really wanted to um, inspire people to believe and not to give up hope because the minute that we stop believing, um, in the process, then the process will continue to um, leave us behind. And so for me, it's really an opportunity to change the way we do business in government and really help people understand the role that they play in that decision-making process. I just wanna follow up because you said something that you see from the inside why people don't trust. So why, what What do you see? Yeah, I, I well, you know, it's so funny because for those who don't know, I won by one vote and, um, and when I walked into City Hall, my thinking was, wow, we're all going to work together and everyone, you know, or, but each office works independently and everyone's working on different issues. So the sense of collaboration is a little bit harder um, to do that work um, inside city government because people have different um, competing interests or values or issues that they're focusing on. So finding some common ground from the inside is really challenging. And then I also think that um, the way the system is constructed, it really doesn't lend itself for real meaningful collaboration. And what I say all the time is that Boston is resource rich, but coordination poor. Mm. And um, everyone always working in their silos. Um, and so that is what I see on the inside. And for me, I think that this is a, in this moment in time, we have a responsibility to break down those silos and to work across our differences um, to move the work forward. And, and that's what I'm hopeful mm -hmm. for. So do you see, you mentioned collaboration, do you see any moments during your day-to-day -day life where, you know, do you, are there any 
tools that you try to implement to kind of encourage collaboration, you know, just from your space where you work? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, you know, one of the first things um, when COVID came um, uh, into play, uh, there were a lot of issues, but there's one moment um, in my first term that always stands out in terms of what real collaboration looks like is the fireworks. Um, They were popping off everywhere, all across the city, um, and it impacted everyone. And there were some folks who wanted to take punitive measures to address the issues, lock them up, you know, throw the book at them, this is the law, send the police out. And then there was another cohort of people that were like, we need to be really super sensitive. You know, the George Floyd situation really was, we're at the heat of the moment, and people really wanted to think about what are different approaches. And the thing is, is that oftentimes here in the city of Boston, we do a lot of finger pointing. But when you, when you stop to think and talk to people about th- their why, we heard from young people that this was a way for them to release stress, that this was a way that they had lost loved ones and they had no way of being able to express um, their trauma. Um, and being locked up in the house or losing someone to COVID, you know, or to violence or, you know, the fear of juggling to make your ends meet to put food on the table. All of these issues um, were really driving a lot of the, the, the things that we were seeing around the fireworks. So we were able to convene over 450 people on a virtual town hall wow. across the city to come up with a community-centered approach to deal with this. And one of the things that we focused on was the trauma and how triggering it was for um, folks who had lost loved ones to gun violence. Mm. Um, People who were dealing with post-traumatic stress disorder as a result of serving our country, or people who just in general were having a hard time sleeping. Um, So we were able to center that conversation around the triggers and the trauma and the impact, while also lifting up the voices of the people who were um, causing the 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 trauma mm-hmm. and and helping to bring their voices into into the conversation so that people had a shared now kind of like common ground and, and conversation and as a result of that work the city implemented a citywide um, task force which brought community um, together and law enforcement to really address this from a community centered approach and wow. so that to me was a really great example of what happens when we're intentional about being collaborative. Wow, that's mm-hmm. I, I love that because I have to be honest. I, I'm one of the people who you know I live in Roxbury. Two o'clock in the morning, you hear fireworks, and I'm like, okay, people. My grandmother's trying to sleep. She can't sleep. She has a hard time sleeping. Y'all need to stop. But to hear that, it, it makes sense. If someone is, this is the only way of expressing themselves. And what is the what is the compromise? And so I love that. I didn't even know that that was going on. Yeah. So that's, that's why we do this podcast. <laughs> you know, if we could. Talk a minute about your personal experience. You mentioned trauma. Yeah. And I think we all bring our own experiences, Judell, and I've talked about this before, of trauma into our work and into where we yeah. are, just like those young people you were trying to help in the community. Uh, what, what, what is your story? What, what do you know about trauma? I, yeah, you know, I, I think, well, wow, like, I, I, I can't even think of just one particular thing to share, but for me, it, it, it dates back to um, growing up with a single mom who was undocumented for a period of time and um, having to navigate and feeling voiceless um, 
and, and going through a number of different dra- traumatic experiences and feeling like my mom did not know how to handle those uh, situations. And when I was um, 16 years old, I attempted um, suicide. And um, I, took, I, I, I took one pill for every miserable year that I had on this world. And I was really sad because my mother um, didn't take me to the hospital. And instead, what she did was made me drink milk and oil so that I would throw up. That was, you know. And I grew up believing that my mom didn't care about me because she didn't take me to the hospital to deal with the situation. And it wasn't until I was probably in my mid, late, like early 40s, I was at a conference. Um, and it was called Trauma in the Village. And it was um, through, it was the Kozbach Conference, but they had a session specifically around trauma. This was in 2016, 2015. And I realized at that moment that all these years I had been carrying untreated trauma because I grew up believing that my mom did not care about me. And I talked about this experience in this conference and it was my aha moment that It wasn't that my mom did not care about me. It was my mom was undocumented, and she was afraid that if she took me to the hospital, they would take me away from her. And that if, um, and then one of the things that I remember her telling me in this moment was that if anyone found out that I tried to commit suicide, that I would never get a job in America. Mm. And that was the message that I received around Mm. this particular situation but never got any treatment around it. And so I carry that in my heart. And that's why I've dedicated my entire life to youth service and working with young people because there's so many young people who are in pain right now and they don't have an outlet. Um, And so I I share my story, uh, not often, but whenever the opportunity presents itself with young people because they need to see themselves reflected in the realities that it's okay Mm-hmm. to have gone through an experience and be able to overcome it. Mm-hmm. And um, and it's that particular moment that I think when I had the realization that my mom loved me, she just didn't know how, um, that made me feel like, oh, okay, but it took years for me to be able to see that. And if it wouldn't have been for that moment, in that conference when, that we were talking about trauma, and it was all people of color. This was the first time that I saw like just a panel of my people talking about this issue and in the space. Um, so anyways, I came back to Boston after that, and I was like, I need to bring trauma in the village to Boston. I need to do this for families. They need to experience this. And so we created a two-day event for um families and the first day was for educators and the second day was just for parents and families to heal trauma in the village and we did it in boston in 2016 2017 um and so it, it was just exactly um for me my moment of like oh okay wow wow we got this wow that's an you're saying a lot and you've said a lot um and i guess you mentioned really quickly about you know systems and trauma and 
this was the first time that apart from maybe your work or all the systems that you normally come in contact with that there was this conference and you had this experience and you had this moment is there any do you find that there is a struggle between uh confronting systems and confronting systems maybe because we're not aware of even the people who are operating in those systems also have trauma so let me clarify so one of the things that i've begun to notice is whenever I'm upset with someone, I'm looking at them as like, no, it's your fault, you're the person. But I never think about, oh, what if that person, all, the reason why this person is the way they are is because of something that has happened to them. Yeah. So like, I'm, I'm looking for you to hear me, I'm getting upset with you, you're not listening, you're telling me to know, you're, tell, you know, you're just shutting all these doors, and my trauma is preventing me from seeing yours. Yeah. How have you, uh, now understanding this about you know, your experience with your mom, how have you used that understanding to work with systems and even in your role um, with what you do in public service? Yeah, you know, I'm a storyteller, so mm -hmm. I, I think I always kind of think about moments where I've interacted with systems that, you know, I remember once being in the welfare office and um, having to translate for my mom. And the, the case manager was being really mean to my mother. And I probably was like nine at the time, but I just remember not wanting to tell my mom what the case manager was communicating. Mm -hmm. So I watered it down a little bit because I didn't want my mom to feel even worse. So, but then I also took advantage of that time. And when I had to translate on my mom's behalf, I used that moment to tell them about themselves. <laughs> and said, so my mom, I'm said so <laughs> um and you need to be nicer yeah and the welfare system in particular has a way in their language and their tone and how they treat people to make people feel less than and that is a system in and itself um and i, I think that humility and humanity and and leading with compassion is what these times require when you're interacting with systems and so being able to provide people feedback on how they can say things in ways that people can hear it mm -hmm. because you just don't know what people are carrying mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. um that system is responsible for serving but not just for distributing funds but for serving people um so I, I think that that's one of the things that is very triggering for a lot of folks who have felt disrespected and disregarded mm -hmm. and your tone and your delivery and how you embrace people is something that doesn't take a lot of money to do. You don't have to change the entire system. All you sometimes have to do is change your attitude and your attitude um, changes the interaction with someone. And I think sometimes we complicate things more than what they need to be, but just basic human respect um, could go a long way in systems change, right? Mm -hmm. and, and I think that mind shift is important. I wanna I just add here that uh, Julia and I have participated in an uh, event not too long ago in Grove Hall, where uh, the Black Boston Co uh, COVID-19 Coalition, the group that works on getting vaccines in this community, and I apologize if I mispronounced that, the name, uh, was announcing the van that was gonna go around, and it was just a big kind of a celebratory Tory uh, event, uh, and a young woman came up in the middle of this uh, news conference that was outside, and the media was all of there, 
and they and this woman was very angry and I could tell that she was very troubled and she kind of took over this moment of, of, of being in this news conference and nobody knew how to handle it but Julia walked up to this woman first of all she spoke her language uh, and and she spoke to her very gently and and with great compassion and she stayed with her and I as I watched this and I watched the whole thing I stayed back because I knew it wasn't anything I could handle in that moment and there were lots of people trying to deal with this woman and actually kind of move her off the way from the news conference but Julia was listening to the woman and she and the woman were talking and I thought about what we do with a Corey Johnson program which is to listen that's what we try to do is not it's not rocket science and treat people with respect and dignity so that they can tell their stories. And I just wanted to say publicly through this podcast, you did that, you epitomized that, and now you've kind of told us why and how. And I saw that make a difference. You calmed that woman down. I don't know what the follow-up was, but in that moment, that's what she needed. So I thank you (laughs) for not just uh, talking the talk, as many public servants do, but walking the walk, and I watched you walk it that morning. So that 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 that's just a, a little aside mm-hmm. <laughs> on who you are, who you are, Julia. But I did want to follow that up with saying, <laughs> uh, we started this podcast to kind of talk about this pandemic and what we could do mm-hmm. as a church, as citizens, to kind of help our neighbors. How do you look back at this last year and a half on the best of what this community got out, you know, got through, how we got through, and the, and the biggest challenges of this pandemic. Yeah, you know, it, it's when when COVID first came onto the scene is how I see it. Um, you know, initially it felt so far away for a lot of us, and um, and and because I didn't know anyone in Italy or I didn't know any, and you know, I'd never been to Europe, like. Yo, we're good. <laughs> and um, and then also, like, we didn't, I wasn't hearing about cases in the black and brown community. I'm like, oh, we're, we're good. And then the first African-American um, basketball player, I, I, I don't know what, I, the Hornets, or I don't know who, who he played for, but I just remember seeing them in the news. I'm like, oh, God, we're good. we can get it too? And that was my aha moment that this was real. I just thought, I just felt like it was not, a, we weren't, it was never going to hit us. Um but when it came onto the scene, I I knew that this was, and, and people hated the fact that some folks had a s- issue with the fact that I saw this as a blessing in disguise. Hmm. And that there was something here for us to learn about ourselves, about how we react, how we how we lean into this. And I I remained with that. What is this here to teach us? And how will we respond in a way that is going to address the things that we have been neglecting for far too long. And that's how I chose to experience COVID and creating opportunities for people to um, to lean into it. But what I loved was the way that community came together. It felt like the village came back. You know, people were te- checking in on each other. People were like, okay, you know, I'll cook. Okay, I'll watch your kids. Like everybody was trying to figure out how we can survive this as a people. And I think that that was really, and the world slowed down and people were able to be at home with their families. I mean, there were a lot of beautiful things, but then there were also a lot of horrible things. Losing loved ones, not being able to grieve um, that loss, 
and hug people, um, worried about whether or not you were going to have enough money to pay your rent that month. Um, just everything, like having to sit in front of a computer and learn and, and that social isolation that so many young people faced, like it was, it was, it was everything. Mm. But I think that the challenges that we had neglected reared its head in a way that we could no longer ignore it. And I think that that's where the opportunity um, really presented itself for people to be innovative. Um, and we saw things that we were like, oh, for real? Now all of a sudden y'all can do this? Why weren't y'all doing that before? Let me find out. You were holding out on me. Um, so I, I think it created an opportunity for government for government to really show what is possible when we lead with uh, the, the urgency that this moment required. Mm-hmm. And, and I was happy to see that and to be a part of that. Mm-hmm. So now, you know, we're, we're coming on up into another season of winter. Uh, we have this new variant out. There's a lot still unknown. What are you looking forward to the most as we move forward into this next season of the weather? Well, I'm looking forward to more people getting vaccinated. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I still think that there are some folks who are, are worried about what can happen. I mean, I'm going to be 100%. I was a little worried, too. And I was like, I kept saying, oh, it's not my turn yet, y'all. Because all the phases, I'm like, oh, my God, it's going to come one day where everybody's going to be like, well, what about you? And I was like, oh, no. I'm waiting for some limbs, extra limbs to grow before I do this. Because we don't trust government. We still don't, right? Um, so I had a lot of reservations about getting tested and, but I also knew that I had a responsibility to, to do so, not just for myself, but for my community. You know, my mom got vaccinated and I needed to make sure that I protected her. And so, you know, I, I took it and I was scared, but I did it and I survived it. And here I am to tell and to say, look, nothing happened and I'm protected and, and this is what we need more of. And so I'm hoping that more people take heed to to the realization that getting tested, it's going to be one of the best ways to protect yourself and, you know, and avoid ending up in the hospital. So I'm hoping that people will carry on that message and, 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 and live it. But I'm also concerned about the fact that a lot of the safety nets that have been put in place to support families, specifically around rental relief, um, some of the small business loans, like all of the all of the safety nets that were put in place, I'm just worried that things are just going to be like the, the rug is literally going to come off or the, rip the Band-Aid off and keep it moving and forget. So I, I just really want to make sure that we're being really intentional about the um, the funds that we've received to to deal with COVID and that we're being really intentional about who are who are the folks that are hardest hit and. I know for a fact that COVID is not our biggest pandemic. It's the mental health issue and the trauma and the residual impact of COVID that so many people have yet to deal with. That is what's going to be the next pandemic that we are going to be faced with. And I think that that's why it's so important in the work that you all are doing, have been doing in the trauma space to really get ahead of this because that's where I feel the work um, is really going to be needed. Well, I think that we all feel better that you are where you are. Yes. Uh, and 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 for the days ahead and the struggles ahead in this pandemic and just in life in general, 
Uh, Julia, I, we are so proud of you and thank you so much for joining us today. This thank has you. been uh, just a real uh, a lifting kind of moment despite all our challenges. So thanks for coming. And that is it for this week's Just Between Us. We hope you'll continue to join us on this podcast when we have it and on our weekly Zoom conversations called Can We Talk? Where people from all walks of life share their stories of loss, grief, hope, and healing. If you want to learn more about Can We Talk and the Corey Johnson program, you can visit our website at rpcsocialimpactctr.org. That's rpcsocialimpactctr.org. Take care of yourself. Thanks for joining us and be blessed.